Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. We're so pleased to be back with you again today. On the day that Francis and I are doing this actual broadcast, it is actually the Feast of All Carmelite Saints. What a huge blessing for us, Francis, to be in studio honoring our Carmelites today. Yes, indeed. I am so thrilled. <laughs> and one specific Carmelite we're going to talk about today, Father Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus. Uh, and I'll let Francis uh, discuss um, why uh, we have chosen to have this conversation on Father Marie Eugène today. And then, of course, we'll go in, as we so often do, to a little bit of his life and, and the impact that he had on karma. But there's a very special reason, Francis, that we're talking about him today. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, how appropriate on this feast day of all Carmelite saints, we're going to be talking about Father Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus because he's going to be entered into a higher degree into this category of saints. He will be beatified. This coming Saturday, November the 19th, which happens to be the feast of another Carmelite saint, St. Raphael Kalinowski. And so here we have um, another one. And, and, you know, in this past year, you know, St. Mary of Jesus Crucified, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. And now it will be Blessed Marie Eugenia, the Child Jesus. We awesome. seem to be receiving, the, the order seems to be receiving um, an overwhelming outpouring of graces you get the sense the blessed mother is working very deliberately behind the scenes <laughs> with <point>. her son <laughs> and our father to say let's make sure that the order that i am the um, you know patron and mother of most directly uh, receives due attention and we do seem to have uh, been on the receiving end but then there's a responsibility francis right that comes with that if we are receiving these blessings there's a reason we talked a little bit about this in our community yesterday but the need for us to be good stewards of the blessings that have been poured out on us as carmel and to impact the world around us and that's certainly true in the case of father uh, marie eugene we're going to talk about that but first we're going to do what good carmelites do and we're going to pray Right, and we're going to start with the prayer from the Carmelite proper for the Feast of All Carmelite Saints. And then I'm going to go into a prayer of Father Marie Eugène's to the Holy Spirit. So I think it's a great way to open up this conversation. So let's get recollected and quiet, knowing that the divine indwelling is within each of us baptized Christians. Let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, May the patronage of the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Mother, and the prayers of all the saints of Carmel help us to walk steadfastly in their footsteps and by our prayers and good works to further the cause of your church. O Holy Spirit, create within me the bonds of intimacy that I need, that I desire, that you need to accomplish your task. May this breath of the Spirit of love enter within me, possess me, and vivify me as he vivifies the church. May this breath, the Holy Spirit, make me fulfill my mission. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, uh, Francis, as uh, you and I spoke and you indicate here, we may well recognize this author because, of course, this, this Carmelite, because he's the author of some uh, particularly popular books right. in, in Carmel. And I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind just sharing some of those titles. And, of course, we'll post these as well on our 
website and on the Facebook account that we have so that people can access them. Uh, so don't feel the need to uh, run to grab a pen and paper right now, but we do want to cover these just briefly. Yeah, we'll be listing them in our resources so you can find them. Uh, Father Marie Eugène is the author of this two-volume synthesis of the Carmelite spirituality called, volume one is called, I Want to See God, and the second part of this work is called, I Am a Daughter of the Church. It's a practical synthesis of Carmelite spirituality, and of course has the teachings of Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, and also Therese of Lisieux. Um, another very popular book is Under the Torrent of His Love, Therese of Lisieux, a spiritual genius. Father Marie Jeanne was very much a fan <laughs> of Therese and devotee. Um, and so this book is his tribute to her um, spiritual genius, yes. And then another book that is very popular is Where the Spirit Breathes, Prayer and Action, um, I really like that one, and I think that speaks a lot to our times of today. So I would encourage you to pick up those books and um, learn. <laughs> There's so much more to learn. <laughs> yeah, so as we always do when we talk about a new, uh, um, I don't want to say saint yet, although we certainly uh, pray that he will be uh, canonized at some point, but uh, in the case of uh, soon-to-be-blessed, uh, Marie Eugène, we always want to give some background on the individual, so it's helpful to understand a little bit about uh, a person's spirituality and their writings by understanding a little bit about their life. Uh, Father Marie was born, Marie Eugène was born December 2nd, 1894 in southwestern France. Um, Henry Grelot, if I'm saying that per, uh, uh, correctly, was the third of five children. His father was a minor. He died in 1904 before Henry turned 10 years of age. And we see this so often, don't right. we, Francis? The loss of one or more of uh, these um, a individuals' parents. A book could be written parents. on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His mother uh, was left a widow and with five children to raise. And, of course, she faced a number of hardships. Poverty was part of their experience. Uh, but with her abundant love and a very strong faith, uh, she made her way through life in raising these children. Um, Henry uh, was a rather robust young man, uh, a bit enterprising, uh, somewhat headstrong, and also very aggressive. I, I thought it was interesting that he was described as headstrong, because so was Therese of Lisieux. <laughs> well, at a young age, Henry um, had a great desire to become a priest, and his mother heroically made sacrifices to help him get his education. And this reminds me so much of St. John of the Cross, whose own father died very young and left him with his brother and his mother, um, brothers. And they were in, in such dire poverty and his desire to get the schooling. And he was bright, so um, a very keen connection there. Well, Henry did join the seminary in 1911 and was a bright student, and he was loved by everyone. It was at this time that he discovered Therese of the Child Jesus. Uh, it wasn't in her story of soul. It was another book about her, a little one. Um, but later on, he, he gets the um, book story of the soul. So he really is a contemporary of hers in the sense that he was born just a few years before she died. So during his lifetime, uh, the prodigious outpouring of devotion to Teresa, the child Jesus, and 
the lead up to her canonization, her beatification and canonization had occurred. And he was part of all of that. Yeah. Um, of course, her f- popularity came as a result of the publication of The Story of a Soul. And it was an instant success, as right. you know. Right. Uh, and it gave her quite a reputation very uh, uh, quickly, even after her death. And so it's logical that he would have... Uh, become familiar with her. In fact, <clears throat> during his studies, his seminary studies, he said of Therese of Lisieux, I find her life written by herself admirable. I've read it several times and bought myself a copy so I can often read it. Uh, that life written by herself is what we now call, of course, the story of a soul. Uh, she apparently deeply impressed the young seminarian. He called her his childhood friend. I, I, I want to stop for just one second and encourage our listeners, by the way. Um, it is a good idea to develop this sort of relationship with our saints. I would advocate the Carmelite saints, but uh, certainly many, many saints worthy of our attention. Um, it is a good idea. I have actually identified my um, the, the saints to whom I have a particular devotion as either an aunt or an uncle, sometimes a sister, a brother. And I speak to him in exactly that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Elizabeth happens to be my older sister, Elizabeth of the Trinity. Therese happens to be my younger sister. I know that's ironic because she preceded Elizabeth, but nonetheless, that's how I see them. Yeah, she likes littleness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, But I, I, I just want to encourage that. And uh, Henry or Father Marie Eugène later's life demonstrates that. Her message apparently influenced and penetrated him so deeply that he made a very deep study of St. Therese's lifetime labor of love. He recognized uh, early on her great importance to the church. In fact, this uh, uh, communion of spirit with St. Therese was such that her blood, her own blood sister, Mother Agnes of Jesus, who we've spoken about in previous programming, would say, I have never seen a soul that resembled my little sisters as much as Father Marie Eugène's. What a compliment. Yes, huh? what a tribute. Ugh. Well, Henry's formation um, was interrupted by the outbreak of World War One. Um, where he volunteered to serve in the military. Um, He was put on the front lines as an officer, and he and his men, of course, encountered suffering and death on a daily basis and many times felt the powerful protection of St. Therese. And I've read stories about Therese and the protection of the military people in both World War I and II. So um, I I think she is a special um, patron of those in uh, the military. In the 1920s, even before uh, Therese was canonized, Henry wrote of her, it seems to me that the mission of the little blessed is to spread the divine love in souls in the form which God wills for our times. Now, Mark and I have talked many times about, you know, the Holy Spirit, the church, bringing to the fore certain saints at certain times for special reasons. So it'll be interesting to see what they say at the beatification about Father Marie Eugène this Saturday um, to what they point to. But, of course, I'm thinking uh, it's going to be a lot about the Holy Spirit. So, Yeah, there seems to be a, a, a great association uh, of his life with the Holy Spirit. In fact, one of the books that you cited, and I agree, I like this, Where the Spirit Breathes, Prayer and Action, is a, is a particularly a good title, I think, for um, uh, elaborating his devotion, deep, deep devotion to the Holy Spirit. And you know, this book, uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but in it, Father teaches us the paths of silent prayer, of mm-hmm. course, which is very Carmelite, um, uh, 
which leads us to the transforming action of the Spirit in our life. I'm reading on the back of the book. He says he speaks of the loving and fertile collaboration we can have with the Holy Spirit, and he describes here its requirements and its wealth, opening up to those who want to live their baptismal grace more fully, the immense horizon of holiness, which stretches out before them. So um, we'll we'll come back to that here in a, a bit. Well, in 1919, after serving in the military, as we indicated, and having been decorated, by the way, with the Military Cross and the Legion of Honor, Henry returns to the seminary to become a priest. And I think, Francis, if I'm not mistaken, you may have researched this. I didn't myself. Wasn't he uh, uh, awarded these uh, because of his willingness to go back out onto the battlefield to uh, retrieve injured soldiers? Am I am I misremembering, or do you recall I why? I don't recall. I thought that was the story. I'm going to have to go look that up. But I'm pretty sure I remember reading about him that he was awarded these uh, very prestigious military awards decorations because of his bravery and willingness to go back out onto the battlefield under battle, uh, under fire rather, uh, to retrieve injured uh, soldiers. Sounds like uh, the <laughs> script line for the movie that is hitting the uh, screens this day <laughs> about uh, the military. Yeah, H- Hacksaw Ridge, I think Yeah, it is. Hacksaw yeah. Ridge, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I hope to. <laughs> uh, this, uh, let's see, uh, on December 13th, uh, day before St. John of the Cross's feast day, as many of you know, on the 14th of December, we'll be celebrating that. While on a retreat and in preparation for his ordination to the diaconate, Henry read The Abridged Life of John of the Cross. When he finished that book, Henry felt an irresistible certainty. Of course, I can relate to this because that was my own experience, reading John's writings, not an abridged version of his life, but his writings is literally what brought me to Carmel. I was able to share that, by the way, with uh, Father Kavanaugh when I saw him. Uh, I'll share with you off air another interesting story. Yeah, we should have a program on this. Mark (laughs) just visited the Discalced Carmelite Friars Monastery for a whole week and had a a tremendous uh, experience uh, of being with them, and so I'm hoping we could do a program on that, Mark. We'll do something on the blessing of Carmelite life. I'm thinking maybe it would be the right to Okay, approach, good. But, well, God, he understood, was calling him to be a discalced Carmelite. Henry, that is, understood it. He wrote to his younger sister at that time and said, God speaks to us directly and very clearly only on rare occasions. Most of the time, he slips into our souls through inspirations, through circumstances that he causes. He speaks to us in veiled terms in a whisper and shows us what we might do if we wanted to please him. But in this case, Henry felt a deeper call beyond his vocation to the priesthood and to the monastic life of a discalced Carmelite friar as he knew where he was being called. Henry was ordained to the priesthood on the 4th of February, 1922, and just 20 days later, he began his novitiate in the discalced Carmelite order. And here is where he received the religious name of Marie Jeanne of the Child Jesus. His new name demonstrated his steep inspiration from the little flower, of course. I don't know where the Eugene part comes from. I, um, I need to learn that. But um, it was here in Carmel that he discovered the grace of silent prayer. And that is what quenched his inner thirst. After his novitiate, he actively preached on Therese of Lisieux in the lead-up to her beatification, which was 1923, and her canonization, which was only two years later, 1925, very quick. So that was a phenomenon in itself. And 
in addition to that, um, he was teaching others about St. John the Cross in the lead-up to his being proclaimed a doctor of the church, and that was in 1926. So in 1923 and 25 and 26, we have some momentous occasions. Seems to be, as we discussed uh, earlier, it seems to yes. be repeating itself <laughs> right, right now, doesn't yeah. it? And so, yeah, that's, the, of course, it wasn't that long ago that uh, Therese herself was proclaimed doctor of the church. Uh, Teresa just preceded her by a few years, of course. Uh, so we seem to be in a rich time again for Carmelite spirituality. And here, as we are talking about him getting beatified, you know, what is this? What is the miracle that's going to happen to propel him into sainthood? Um, you know, uh, let's let's really dig in and pray. Um, for him to intercede for us and to help us. Well, later in actually 1929, on the Feast of Pentecost, three young ladies came to visit Father Marie Eugène. Uh, they were a teacher and co-principals of a secondary school in the city of Marseille. They wanted to consecrate themselves to God, and they were attracted, very attracted to Carmelite spirituality. These three, in fact, were to become foundational members of the Secular Institute of Notre Dame de Vie under the leadership of the founder, who was Father Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus. And Marie Pila. And um, I wanted to point out what that Notre Dame de Vie meant. That's Latin for our mother of life. So needed today. Mm. (laughs) Go ahead, Mark. Well, it was a secular institute, actually, composed of three branches, one of the consecrated lay women, uh, one of lay men, and a third one of priests who strive to fulfill their vocation to be contemplative apostles and bear witness to the living God while immersed in the daily realities of their professions or ministries. Of course, this is exactly what we in Carmel are called to, apostolic contemplatives, to uh, be witnesses of God in the world that we live in while continually living out our contemplative um, prayer life. Father Marie Eugène wanted everyone to know that the paths of contemplative prayer and holiness are open to all Christians, uh, even those living an ordinary life in the midst of the world. And this grew and it spread throughout the world. This universal call to holiness, of course, preceded that very theme, which was central to uh, Vatican II. Many who've studied and understand Vatican II, that was really the central theme, not just this sort of Uh, In fact, mistakenly, do people believe it was about reforming the church? It had nothing to do with that. It had uh, predominantly to do with a universal call to holiness. And Father Marie Eugène seems to have been prophetic in anticipating that and establishing, uh, as Francis said, with Marie Pila, this uh, foundation, this secular institute. Well, Father Marie Eugène held many leadership positions in the discast Carmelite order, including the Definitor General and the Vicar General, and convinced of the importance of St. Teresa of Avila's spiritual legacy, he, he strove to revitalize the Carmelite monasteries of France, which had been devastated um, because of the war. Father Marie Eugène's whole life, in fact, portrayed this strong influence of the Holy Spirit and our Blessed Mother. And often he would be heard to saying, my children must be sons of the Spirit and the Virgin Mary. Now, we want to just skip ahead a little bit because we're just giving you a profile of his life. Obviously, we're not going into great detail and we haven't necessarily gotten into his spirituality yet. So just to finish up on this profile, Uh, From about 1965 on, his health really began to deteriorate. Um, He was uh, 
himself forced to focus on the essentials, uh, what he characterized as the essentials, teaching of the fundamentals of the spiritual life. He was a master, of course, of the spiritual life, and supporting and growing uh, numbers of people that were seeking his direction. Um, there are not, as Francis and I have discussed in previous programs, you know, there are simply not enough good spiritual directors, uh, certainly in our world today, and it was unfortunately true even in uh, the uh, early to mid-1960s, but he was um, really overwhelmed by the, the individuals uh, who were coming to him seeking his advice uh, on how to deepen their own spiritual journey and their, their walk. Well, nearing the hour of his death, he wanted to leave his final testament uh, of contemplation and action well united, he said. He had lived this union at the deepest level of his being as a man of God who lived as though he were seeing the invisible. And that's, of course, a, a paraphrase from Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Well, speaking to his community who were gathered around him a few days before his death, he delivered his spiritual testament, which I think is so important, um, and which he leaves to all of us today. And this is what he said. All have probably noticed that when I speak of the Holy Spirit, I get easily inflamed. I call him my friend, and I think that I have reasons for it. My whole life has been based on this. At the start of my religious life, I believed that I was seized by the Holy Spirit, and again in several circumstances, in a vigorous and absolutely certain fashion. This is the testament that I leave you, that the Holy Spirit may descend on you, that you may be able to say the soonest possible that the Holy Spirit is your friend, that the Holy Spirit is your light, that the Holy Spirit is your master. This is how I pray for you. And know this well. It is the prayer that I am going to continue praying and that I will continue praying for you throughout eternity. I shall, cry, I shall cry out so loudly to the Father, to our Lord, and even to the Holy Spirit that I do not think, in view of all God's goodness to me, that he will refuse to let me come to you or refuse to let me send him to you. Yeah, just to affirm this, his motto is actually Traditas Gracia Dei, which of course translates surrendered to the grace of God. He was a friend of the Holy Spirit. His rich human nature was steeped in his faith, his hope, and his love, all enforced by his great devotion to the Holy Spirit. On March 27, 1967, Easter uh, Monday, actually, the feast he had established to honor Mary, mother of the risen one, our mother of life, as Francis uh, shared with us earlier, he, Father Marie Eugène himself, entered into eternal life. He murmured as his last words, As for me, I am on my way to perfect union with the Holy Spirit. Mm, that's so beautiful. Well, in recognizing the heroic virtues of Father Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus, He's proposed to us as a privileged model for all the baptized called to holiness who live fully in the world and in the very ordinariness of our daily life where they, according to Pope Benedict XVI, are to become, quote, seeds of holiness scattered by the handful in the furrows of history. That's us today. We're called um, and we're the seeds that the Lord is planting. So, you know, how well are we going to respond? Uh, are we going to be open to being watered and fed 
Will the light shine on us and will we radiate Christ? Well, in the minute or so that we have before um, we uh, take a break, I just want to quickly go through this list of, uh, I would say, uh, defenses, if we were the ones responsible, I guess, Francis, for defending his cause. We might identify this list of attributes, spiritual attributes, for why Father Marie Eugène is uh, certainly worthy of beatification, Uh, and further consideration perhaps one day for canonization. First of all, he was a man seized by love for God and for the world. His entire life centered around this love and deepening of this love. He was a man familiar with the gospel, of course, a prophet for the 21st century. Yeah, his very text, as we cited a couple times, where the spirit breathes, having to do with the combination of prayer and action is... Uh, a a central theme for us here in the 21st century. And perhaps, as you suggested, Francis, maybe the reason why the Church, the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit always, has chosen to elevate him and and, uh, make him as prominent in this time as he has. Thirdly, I would say a knowledgeable guide in leading men and women to an encounter with God. We talked about his own uh, efforts at spiritual direction, and clearly that was a central theme to um, his... um, blessing uh, to the church. And he encouraged people to silent prayer. I think the the members of the Institute of Notre Dame de Vie um, were encouraged to pray two hours daily of silent prayer um, in the midst of living in the world with their professions. So, um, And this book uh, is the Where the Spirit Breathes shares um, his teachings about this uh, silent prayer. So, uh, you know, being an expert in interior prayer is definitely a good defense of his being um, beatified. Well, we're about halfway through that list, and so we're going to just take our break now, come back, because we want to elaborate some of these in a little more detail. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be back in just a moment.
Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. We're picking up on our conversation today about the life of Father Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus and uh, getting ready to celebrate his beatification, which will actually be this Saturday, the 17th. 19th. 19th, 19th of 19th. November. And you know, if anyone who wants to follow along the development, they're, they're having a beautiful novena. I think we're on the fourth or fifth day today. Um, leading up to his beatification. But you can follow along at um, www.notredamedevie, D-E-V-I-E, um, for the life, notredamedevie.org. Um, and there's also um, information at perry-marie-eugene.org. Spell, spell that, Perry? P-E-R-E, like for okay. father, yep. French for father, um, Marie, and eugene.org. Yep. So... Well, picking up on the list of... Uh, defenses? Yeah, defenses, I guess, uh, for his beatification, and, and we hope at some point his canonization. We talked about so many things regarding his life and the impact on the 21st century, certainly his uh, impact on prayer. But also we should recognize, um, and this is so often the case in the lives of our saints uh, and, and uh, those beatified, he was a simple man, a poor man. He certainly suffered. We talked about poverty and his mother having to raise uh, both himself and his four siblings. And very uh, humble man, uh, a, a very simple uh, a personality who relied uh, very much on prayer, on the life of prayer, and on his devotion to the Holy Spirit. So those aspects of his character and his experience, which were in some measure dictated to him, uh, also represent uh, for us, a model of why this man uh, has been elevated uh, to the state of beatification, to blessed, as we say in the church, and, and we hope again one day perhaps canonization. And of course, we know he prayed constantly and powerfully for others, and I'm sure that hasn't stopped, right, Mark? <laughs> Intercessory prayer, we can't say enough about it. We as Carmelites are called to this, most especially, by the way, just to reiterate something Francis and I have talked about in the past, but we are called to pray for priests. Yes. We are called to pray for the souls in purgatory, and we certainly are called to pray for the conversion of sinners. This is the call in karma. We uh, don't pray simply as Teresa of Avila said, uh, you know, to uh, feather the nest of our of our eventual home in heaven. We have a, a role and a mission to be participants in Christ's redemptive work, and right. Father Marie Eugène's entire life, of course, was that. Up until, and in fact, this is the last item on the list, up until and including his death, he was tirelessly involved in active ministry up until the moment of his death. He, he didn't find time for retirement and, and, and sort of sitting back. And since he was such a devotee of St. Therese, whose mission was to... Um, Bend her heaven, doing good on earth. I'm sure that's he's he's going to follow in her shoes, you know. <laughs> we hope so. We certainly hope so. We need his prayers. Well, does this change anything in celebrating his beatification? You know, the church offers to us a greater number of people um, the possibility of getting to know him, and then to benefit not only from his witness but from his active intercession in heaven. So that encourages. Uh, to confide our intentions in prayer to him. Yeah, and it's interesting to understand this idea of beatification, and the various stages, of course, are uh, to be uh, identified as venerable. Um, beatification, of course, resulting in the title uh, blessed, and then uh, canonization for saints. 
But in uh, 2011, our former Pope Benedict, Pope Emeritus still, uh, the 16th, had these interesting words to help us understand this idea uh, of both the life of Marie Eugène and what it meant when he was identified as a venerable. He wrote, In the riches of a life marked by effort and activity, the spirituality of the servant of God was distinguished by a strong faith nourished by daily prayer, by the fervor of Eucharistic celebration, by the constancy of his gift to the Holy Spirit, and by his immense confidence in the Virgin Mary. Well, that seems to sum up the the particulars as it relates to his Carmelite life, doesn't it? Prayer, Eucharist, the Holy Spirit, and the Blessed Virgin. By his life for the saints of Carmel, of course, would be the last. And for Saint, uh, uh, I'm... Amarantiana, yeah, which I don't know who that is. Yeah, I have, we'll have to, to look do that the research up. on that. <laughs> I meant to do as that. As well as by his missionary zeal that pushed him to offer his whole life to the Lord. With the foundation of the Secular Institute, again, I'm still reading from uh, Pope Benedict XVI's uh, words on uh, Marie Eugène's uh, veneration, his, his uh, being granted the title Venerable. He proposed a balanced synthesis of the dimensions of the Order of Carmel, which are, of course, contemplation and the apostolate. He was a master of spirituality, and he personally accompanied priests and seminarians, male and female religious, as well as many lay faithful. He left as heritage an ample and rich patrimony of homilies, conferences, and retreats, as well as a master work entitled, I Want to See God. These texts clearly concretize his desire to bring, as he used to say, contemplation to the streets and to propagate the universal call to holiness. He bore with fortitude the interior sufferings and apostolic labors which accompanied him throughout a life consecrated to service of the church. Beautifully yes, I said. Have, I had to say, you know, any anyone who is in Carmel or who has a strong attraction to Carmelite spirituality would profit greatly from that two-volume book of I Want to See God, I'm a Daughter of the Church by Father Maria Eugene, which actually came about as people came to him encouraging him to teach them about Carmelite spirituality and, and how to apply it to their lives because they're having their ex- these experiences and they want to m- make sense of them. So, you know, he's, he's having these conferences with them and then they compiled these. And, and so that's uh, the, the biggest bulk of how this uh, volume came into being. Well, and I want to emphasize too, I think it's important that we note and reemphasize the fact that this, the catalyst for the establishment of this secular institute was in fact the a visitation by three seculars who came to him and said, help us, Father. Yeah. We want to make this consecration. We want to dedicate our lives. We want, uh, I'm sure they, they uh, continued, obviously, with their responsibilities, but they wanted to make something more of their life, and this is the man they sought out. So he may be a unique, um, um, blessed, and again, hopefully one day saint, for us in the secular order and, and the uh, combination of this contemplative and apostolic nature that we have to bring to our vocation. And this Institute um, of uh, Notre Dame de Vie, that is a consecrated institute. It's in line with the Pope, and it is in the family of Carmel. Um, And he goes directly to Teresa, John, and Therese. Those were the, the main three. 
So I want to turn now, Mark, to one aspect of Father Marie Eugène's life of sanctity. There were so many things to choose from, but uh, one of them that struck me and that he is well known for was his um, love of the Holy Spirit. Um, That is, in fact, one of the dominant features of the grace of Father Marie Eugène, as has been described by Father Francois Gerard from the Center of Notre Dame de Vie as an unreserved surrender to the action of the spirit of love. I mean, how would you like to be described that way? Father Marie Eugene had an unreserved surrender to the action of the spirit of love. And that was from a book under the torrent of his love. From the time of his early days in the novitiate, Father Marie Eugene frequently experienced powerful impulses of the spirit of love. It was said he did not hesitate to speak of a lived Pentecost. His knowledge of the Holy Spirit was the fruit of long intimacy. You know, there's a lot of books in French on him. And I'm like, please hurry up and get them translated into English for us. I thought you were going (laughs) to ask for that gift to instantaneously acquire the... the Yeah, (laughs) Spanish, Italian, all the Latin, all of those. (laughs) French, of course. Well, Father Marie Eugène often spoke, as Francis said, about the Holy Spirit. He wrote about the Holy Spirit. He taught about the Holy Spirit. Uh, he would encourage his listeners to get to know the Holy Spirit, to call on the Holy Spirit, to stand next to them, to ask him for light, for love, for strength. I have to, I have to point out, when you said light, love, and strength, it immediately took my mind to St. Elizabeth of the Trinity in her dying words, to life, to love, to, to light. light. Yes, um, exactly right. Um, That's right. So I, I just... Or maybe it was, maybe I got the order wrong. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. The words are correct. (laughs) But I I just like, oh, yes. And then, of course, then I'm also thinking of St. Mary of Jesus Crucified, who was such an apostle of the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit, And I'm like, what a great connection here. We may be seeing, I mean, as part of this as well, we're just reflecting on this, obviously, in a conversation, as we would. But we may be seeing, again, not only the emphasis on the order of Carmel with all of the graces that have been poured out on us in the last few years, but redirection within the church of this devotion to the Holy Spirit. Right. right? Absolutely. Very central it. to our, to our, uh, um, you know, sort of maturing in our spirituality. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need to call on the Holy Spirit. In fact, Father Marie Eugène himself said in 1964, we need our own Pentecost and the church also needs a certain Pentecost for all time periods at all the turning points of her history. Right. So even in his own life, he's calling for this continuous new Pentecost, not a, a, a redefinition of doctrine or teaching, of course, of any way, but an outpouring of the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he invites us all to discover this joy of allowing ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit, along what he would have called the pathways of love. In a personal note, he wrote these words, and they're very potent. It is the living spirit of love who lives in me and who has long possessed me. A living presence invading, ruling. It is he who pours out his love and brings the church into being. My holiness will be to believe in him, in his presence, and to yield myself to his embrace. Now, let's just stop and ponder that for a moment, especially this last line. And if we were to do this along with Father Marie Eugene, he said, My holiness will be to believe in him, in his presence, and to yield myself to his embrace. 
Yeah, it's very much this idea uh, that we've discussed so many times in our spiritual journey of abandonment, of giving ourselves over to the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, we know, Francis, that we cannot do the work that is necessary to be done within our souls on our own. We must give ourselves over. Yeah, there are responsibilities we have to position ourselves at the doorstep, if you will, uh, through our aesthetic works, our, our detachment, our prayer, our efforts at charity, our trying to conform ourselves in virtue uh, to the life and the image of, of our Lord and Savior. But ultimately, what happens is that the Holy Spirit, in communion with the Son and the Father, do this work in us. This fire is ignited and yes. is, it is uh, allowed to uh, spread throughout our soul, throughout our entire human experience. And that's what purifies us. That's what heals us. That's what makes us ready uh, for the coming of the Father and, and giving uh, us the image of the the, um, the the Father's Son, our Lord, uh, so that, in fact, uh, he sees his very image within us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who prepares us for it. Well, let us listen to more of Father Marie Eugène's teaching on the Holy Spirit. Um, I pulled this from the book, Where the Spirit Breathes, under the chapter called Our Great Treasure, Faith in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Of course, that was very intriguing, just the title itself. But this is what he writes. When the apostles set out to conquer the world, what was their treasure? It was their experience of the Holy Spirit. They knew him as a living person. All had the same conviction that the Holy Spirit dwelt within them. Just think if we had that kind of conviction. Let us make an act of faith in this Holy Spirit who is in our souls. The Holy Spirit is not a thought or reality living in higher regions. He is someone within us who is the life of our soul, the living breath of our soul, the guest of our soul acting in us unceasingly. He's a living person, intelligent and loving, who dwells in us. We should therefore resolve to live with the Holy Spirit and seek him out frequently. I think this is our resolution for today um, uh, and for on, on the days, uh, uh, for the rest of our days. Resolve to live with the Holy Spirit and seek him out frequently. He goes on, when we enter within ourselves to pray or to examine our conscience and attitudes, the first thing we ought to seek, almost the only thing, is the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. He is there as our friend, our guest. He, the architect of the church, the worker of our sanctification, is there. He who builds the church, the great work in which he associates us, is there. We do not ask this Holy Spirit to reveal his presence to us by another Pentecost or by striking outward manifestations as he did on the day of Pentecost, but to deign to reveal his presence to us at least by giving us faith in him. As our Lord says, rivers of living water will flow from the heart of one who has the Spirit, who believes in him. The Holy Spirit will shed his light on this soul. Floods of life and light rush upon souls through the Holy Spirit, but they pass particularly through this one soul who has, so to speak, opened the divine locks through faith in the Spirit. Isn't that an image you can get in your mind, Mark, this 
opening of the divine locks through the faith in the spirit. I just really, when I read that, I just, I just gasped almost. Well, and it <laughs> I'm thinking is so, of Niagara, though. You know, <laughs> it is so important that we recognize the role that the Holy Spirit plays, because as our Lord said, "I will send you the Spirit, the the, the Spirit of Truth, and He will guide you through all of these things," meaning through the. The, the process of our sanctification, our purification, our entry into contemplation where we find our rest and our peace, all of that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Christ, of course, is the image. He is the model. He is the one whose life we can read about. But it is the Holy Spirit who is actually doing this work secretly, silently, deep within the depths of our soul. He's purifying us. And we need to both acknowledge the Holy Spirit and we need to engage the Holy Spirit prayerfully. Um, uh, I would almost say passionately in begging for this gift of the Holy Spirit to do the work that he wishes to do in us. And in reflecting on our responsibility, Father Marie Eugène tells us, he says, let's take this all to heart right now. Let us not think that the Holy Spirit will take care of everything alone. He needs us. It is one of the laws of God's action, even on the supernatural plane, to do nothing alone, to act only with human collaboration. And we need to take note of this law. Let me repeat it. It is one of the laws of God's action, even on the supernatural plane, to do nothing alone, to act only with human collaboration. Well, and this is why I said a moment ago, it's so important for us. And, you know, I, I forget who said it, and I suspect many saints have said it. We need to beg for the gift of contemplation. We need to seek uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit doing this work of purification and sanctification within us, not just in a passing way of, you know, uh, fulfilling our uh, religious obligations, our daily uh, obligation to prayer, but genuinely we need to let the Lord know the degree to which we desire it. That's the truth. Now, God knows us. He knows us inside and out. He knows our heart. But we have to demonstrate for ourselves, do we really desire this above everything else, above the distractions of the world, above the, uh, uh, you know, religious titles that we might acquire or the the work that we do all admirable but the work that we do in the church which is as important but not as important as expressing to god our genuine desire to be purified to let this work be done within us by the holy spirit we must beg for that in prayer father marie eugene goes on to talk about this human collaboration and this is what he says the necessity of our cooperation confronts us with a responsibility Okay, we all need to pay real close attention to this. This is our responsibility. If we turn away from God's call, or even from some good work he asks of us, from the apostolate which he may require of us in a general way or in some particular instance, the good will not be done. A soul may be lost. This is why God has placed charity within us, the love which is given to us, the life which is poured into our souls by the Holy Spirit. This life of Christ unites us to him by living bonds and makes us enter into his thought, his life, his desires. Consequently, grace itself makes us apostles. And this independently of the call which has been addressed to us and the mission which has been given to us. Here again, in the very grace itself, we find a demand of the apostolate. Yeah, he's not mincing words here, is he? The demand of the apostolate, meaning 
Um, we are called to this work, and he says it very bluntly earlier in a few sentences preceding that, uh, that a soul might be lost right. in our failure to do the work. Now, I will say, um, you know, we must understand that as we begin the spiritual journey, if that's where you may be, listener, um, our responsibilities and our, our obligations are less. As we deepen our spiritual journey, it's not that it gets easier. Yeah. And in fact, the, the magnitude of the decisions that we make and the failures we fall subject to or the inability to respond to the uh, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit has significant ramifications for a mature soul. St. John of the Cross tells us this, that a minor fault in the part of a, on the part of a, a soul much advanced in spirituality has a far greater impact and does far greater damage to the church than one that is less mature. So the, the, the stakes, if you will, get higher, not less. And so many people on this journey of growth in the interior life, um, you know, they, they get caught into the fallacy that it's just to make themselves holy. But no, um, you are to be a receptacle of God, a, a chalice uh, of his divine inpouring that is poured out for others. So your growth directly affects those around you. Um, so it is so very, very important. If we think of ourselves as cells within the mystical body, and let's say for a moment, because uh, uh, it is so true of our modern society that the mystical body has experienced this infection, um, it is the degree to which we purify the sins uh, of our society by making ourselves most holy that we can affect the outer uh, reaches of our society. I, it, there's a whole theology around that, but suffice to say, Father Marie Eugène would tell us, rely on the Holy Spirit to do this work of purification. And in fact, in another place, he instruct us, instructs us this way, union with the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. No. In our daily work, human techniques have their importance. But the first thing to do is to bond ourselves with the one who is at work. So how do we develop this bond? Well, this bond is built by an act of faith. Not surprising. John of the Cross would tell us the exact same thing. But only repeated acts will truly fashion intimacy, friendship, in fact, with our Lord. In order to work, we need to be with him always, to have a sort of reflex, to check in with him each time we want to do something. May he always be there, uh, be here, I'm sorry, to help us. And may we always be there with him. That's, of course, from um, one of his texts, 15 Days of Prayer with Father Marie Eugène. So we can see from this brief introduction of the life of uh, Father Marie Eugène and the sanctity of that life, uh, that we can learn to grow in our own intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's very critical to our holiness, to our spirituality, and as much to the impact that we can have on the church and the world around us. We'll pray, and I encourage you, listener, to pray that he might intercede for us and let us look forward with great anticipation uh, to the Saturday, this Saturday, the 19th of November, uh, at the beatification ceremony, which will occur in France, of Father Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus. And for all of the, those who can connect on the Internet, um, org with hyphens in between the names, or notredamedevie.org. Um, they're going to have updates, and on Facebook we'll, we'll try to put some updates as well. 
Um, so uh, we have much rejoicing to do. Let's ask Father Marie Eugène to intercede for us. And, and with that in mind, I have taken this uh, closing prayer from the Notre Dame de Vie uh, website um, for his intercession. So be thinking of something you're asking him. Um, one of the good things to ask would be to <laughs> ask him to help us to pray and to get more connected with the Holy Spirit. So let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Father, we thank you for giving us Father Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus. His life is a radiant testimony of union with Christ, of docility to the Holy Spirit, and of filial confidence in the Virgin Mary. He reveals to us the depths of your love. He teaches us how to live in faith each day in your presence and persevere in silent prayer to become witnesses of your divine life. Grant us, through his intercession, the graces we ask of you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I want to, uh, again, remind our listeners that if you are listening to us on the day of this broadcast, which is the 14th of November, that's the uh, Feast of All Carmelite Saints. And if you're listening, uh, please take a moment to pray to the Carmelite Saints, ask their intercession. Tomorrow, of course, the 15th will be the Memorial of All Carmelite Souls. Uh, and I would encourage you and ask you, please, to pray for all Carmelite souls, living and dead, uh, that we might continue our journey of sanctification and purification through the work of the Holy Spirit. Until we are with you again next week, this is a reminder you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. God bless.